All right, so we started last week with just verse 1. Today we're going to do verse 2 and 3. We'll do it kind of in context here. But it's under this idea of what I'm calling, be careful what you name your trouble. And it's true. We all, whether you intentionally do this or not, you name the trouble that comes into your life. And James tells us what we ought to name it. So we'll look at that today because life does include trouble. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Sometimes it falls uh, because of our actions. Sometimes it falls because of someone else's actions. Sometimes the rain falls just because we live in a fallen world and stuff happens. Stuff happens and you can't always attribute it to uh, a fault of your own or the fault of someone else. It just happens and it's going to be that way in a fallen world. There are going to be struggles and trials that come our way. And it's important that we know how to respond because we all decide something about God and about life when a trouble or trial happens. We're kind of all forced to. Something difficult, something tragic happens, and you have to answer some questions in that moment. Why did this happen? What is this for? Where was God? And what am I to do? Those are all tough but good questions. They're necessary questions. And the Bible gives us answers about how to answer that question or those questions about who is and where was God when my trial came? Why did this happen to me? What's the purpose? What am I supposed to do in this? Was this my fault? What, what am I supposed to do if it was my fault? What if it was someone else's fault? Why, what am I to do then? James gives us some answers to all of that. So as usual, to answer those, we have to pull back just a little bit. Uh, you'll notice I do that a lot in my messages because that's what we must do. It's important to pull back, get some perspective, because sometimes you can get so close up on a matter that you miss the bigger picture. So let's, let's pull back for just a moment and remember some things. That salvation is an eternal work of God. He does it, and it's just the beginning of something that will last eternity. Your beginning point was just the beginning point. Your, the day you enter into heaven will not be the end point. It will just be a continuation point of you continuing to learn about the glory and the majesty and the power of God. You will continue learning throughout eternity. So this is just the beginning point. We're just at the beginning. Our spirit, as we've talked about, is redeemed and saved, seated with Christ. But there's a part of you and me that is still in the process of learning, growing, and being conformed and being transformed into the very image of Jesus. Paul wrote Romans 8, 29, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. God is doing the work of conforming you and me into the very image of Jesus. That means shaping how we think, how we see, how we respond, how we relate, so that we're becoming more and more like Christ. That doesn't happen by accident. That happens intentionally. It happens by His design, <clears throat> and it happens by our response. When we respond by faith, it happens. Now, this is important because James is writing to some people who are going through it. They're new believers, Jewish believers, and they are facing some persecution. 
it's not popular to be a Jewish believer or to be a believer, period, in this time at which James writes. In fact, we saw in verse 1 that he was writing to those who had been scattered or dispersed. They'd gone through enough trial in their life that they couldn't even live where they had lived. They couldn't keep their job. They couldn't keep their possessions. They had to leave. They were scattered. That's tough. We think about facing some persecution today, but you think about if you had to just uproot and leave and you couldn't take everything you had with you, but for your very security and life, you had to move somewhere else. And James writes to believers like that because they had to be asking some questions like, okay, I, I thought I was coming to Jesus because he was going to keep me and love me and hold me and I wasn't going to have to go through trials. And here's life just smacking them upside the head. And they're asking some questions. And so James writes. This is where we get to verse 2 there at the bottom in the, in the orange box. James writes and he says, My brethren... Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Now, I want to read the rest of this context here. We're really only going to zero in on verse 2 and 3 today. But James goes on, he says, But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So James writes to people who are going through trials. They have fallen into various trials, as he says. So he's not just writing to the air. He's writing to people. He's writing to people going through it, really going through it. So let's zero in on two and three here. And our intent through this study is to be very um, specific. We're going to zero down on some things. So let's just take this a couple of words at a time. He starts off in verse two and he says, my brethren. So James is writing to other believers. But we know from verse one they were Jewish believers. They had been a part of um, the Jewish heritage. These were people who knew the law. These were people who knew the system of sacrifices. These were people who knew the synagogue system, the, the temple, priests. They knew all of that, and they knew that it was, um, it was the prevailing religious system of the day. And to believe in Jesus as a, Jew, as a Jewish person was in a sense to put you in a place where you were going to be cast out. It was the Jewish people who really pushed for Jesus to be crucified. It was the Jewish leaders. They didn't like what he had to say. He was upsetting the system. He was coming saying he was the Lamb of God who come to take away the sin of the world. Well, that meant, if that was true, it meant an end to the system of temple and synagogue and and sacrifices as they had known it. <clears throat> and so Jesus comes, and to follow him in this moment would be to walk away from that entire system. So they were facing persecution as Jewish believers, but also even as just believers in the day. 
It was not popular. You read that in the book of Acts, especially in uh, chapter 8. There's much persecution and they are having to flee. So James writes to people like you and I who have recognized their sin, who have called out to Jesus. But now that very belief is costing them. That's hard. You think about if someone came to Vertical and they put their faith in Christ and we celebrated with them and they came back the next week and said, hey, you know, um, because I made this decision, I lost my job, uh, my wife left me, and now my kids won't talk to me. What do you say to me? It'd be tough. It'd be tough to talk to someone in that moment and give them some counsel when their life has just been turned upside down because they put their faith in Christ. We like to think in terms of, I put my faith in Christ and my marriage got better and my kids turned to me and my, I got a raise at work and uh, life's great. Sometimes that happens, but sometimes you put your faith in Christ and it goes the opposite direction. People turn against you. Persecution happens. In fact, that's what Jesus promised would actually happen. And these people are going through it. So James, when he says, my brethren, he's saying, these are my people, and my people are going through it. And this is what he writes, and this is who he writes to, my brethren. Now, the next part, he says, <clears throat> is a phrase, if you've, if you've been around the Bible much, you'll recognize this. He says, count it all joy. So he's about to tell them, in this trial you're going through, in this struggle, the fact that you had to leave and you've been persecuted and you've lost, James says, count it all joy. That's some, that's some tough counsel right there to say, I've just lost. I'm going through struggle. I don't understand what's going on. I'm uncertain about my future. And James says, okay, count it joy. Now, it's interesting phrasing to use here. This word count, uh, what do, you, what do you think of in this phrase when you hear the word count? What do, you, what do you normally, what kind of comes to mind? I know in writing there I tell you the definition, but I'm just curious before you read the definition, what, what came to your mind, Ed? Yeah, I mean, we think in terms of like counting things. You know, there's one, two, three tables. So you count your life and you, you count up, okay, here are good things that have happened or here's the struggles that have happened. Yes, I'm going to count I'm going to count where God has worked. What else? What else comes to mind when you hear the word count here in this verse? Anything? Yes. Yes. Put it, put it in logical sequence. Yeah. Put it all together. Add it up. It's interesting. The word here in the original language is a word that means to take authority, to take the position of a leader, to rule, to oversee it. Now, that's a different dimension of the word count. But he's saying, when it comes to the trial that you're in here, you need to make sure you take the lead, you take the role of determining what this trial will be called. You lead in it. Because if you don't take the lead in it, the trial will take its lead over you. Has that ever happened in your life? It's happened to me. Where the trouble takes over me. The trouble defines me. The trouble, I let the trouble be what determines what's next in my life. And James says, no, you take the role here 
of calling this trial by a name. You take the responsibility of leading out. Don't let it lead you. You lead it. You determine what this is. You decide. You call it what it is. You take the initiative and name this thing. It's important because what you name it is what it will become for you. What you call it is what it will be. So it's important what we say about our trials. And I know it's easy when you're going through something to say, this is the worst. This is terrible. I don't understand this. Why is this happening to me? This shouldn't be. Every, every statement you make like that, you're naming that trial. You're saying something about it. You're calling it something. And what you call it is what it will become. So if you, if you call it those things, it usually follows with a thought because now you've got to answer the question, where is God in the midst of this? And if this is the worst, and if this is the most terrible thing that's ever happened, and if this is, uh, I don't understand what's going on, if this is, um, life's turned against me, if this is all of that, then you've got to say something about God also. And people are tempted and often buy into the idea, well, this is evidence that God has left me, God is against me, God has even cursed me. People turn down that path. And when you do that, you've named this thing a thing, and it will now determine you and your faith. Because now you'll start saying things about yourself like, well, I'm just stupid, I'm just a reject, this is what I get, I'm incapable, I'm a failure, I'm a cast-off, I'm rejected, and now you've let this trial determine you. You've let this trial determine what you think about God. You've let the trial name you and name your life instead of you counting, you taking the lead, you taking the role, initiative to say, no, I will call this trial what it is. David? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 go. Yes. Perfect. So that's what James says next. He says, count it, call it, name it. Here's what you name it. All joy. You call this thing, whatever it is, you call it all joy. That's what James says, not what I say. So James says, if you're going to name this thing, let's name it accurately. I know you just were dispersed. I know you just lost some relationships. I know you just lost your home. James takes a pretty bold stance here and says, look, you can even count, call, name this thing something of joy. Now, that's tough. I can't imagine losing what they lost, picking up this letter, and James says, hey, count this joy. Call it, call it something good. 
Call it an opportunity. I mean, it almost sounds like, you know, just cheap preacher talk, right? You know? Um, but James is going to help us with this because there's a purpose in it. If it just ended right there, we might all struggle with it. But James is going to go on. He says, you, there's a reason you can name this thing joy. And you, you really, you should. Don't, don't live with the mantra that life sucks. Don't do that. Because you have to answer some other questions about God and about life. And that name will not help you. It will not help you grow in your faith. And it will not help you move on beyond this moment, no matter how difficult it is. Call it a purpose, an opportunity, a moment where there can be joy. Now he goes on. He says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Again, going word for word here, phrase by phrase. He says, when you fall into. This is a phrase that kind of gets this idea of when you're blindsided by it. When it hits you and you weren't expecting it. It's not one of those moments where you know you did something really uh, terrible and there's an obvious set of consequences that follow. No, this, James says, when you fall into it, when all of a sudden it happens and you can't look back and see, well, I did this, this, and eh, it's a natural result. No, this is you fell into it. You weren't looking to get into this trial. You weren't thinking it was going to happen. It, you fell into it. So James says, sometimes that happens. Sometimes you get blindsided by a pain, by a loss, by a tragedy. And he says, he also uses another word here to describe it. He says, various. It means uh, a variety of. So when you're going through life and you are blindsided by different types of trials, when different things happen, when various types of troubles come your way, whether they be um, a relationship, job-oriented, financial, uh, health, whatever it is, when you fall into these moments, and they are various, and when they are a trial. Now, if you're looking in different versions this morning, the King James doesn't say trials. The King James says temptations here. Now, that, that puts a different look on it if we're, if we're going to think of this in terms of temptations. But the, the original wording means <clears throat> a, a situation where there's a test of what we believe. A trial, a test that comes our way that says, now, what are you going to call this? <clears throat> now, what are you going to do about this? Now, what are you going to believe about God? What are you going to believe about his purpose in your life. So it seems to be that James is saying, my brothers, I'm with you. When trouble comes your way, make sure you take the lead role here. Don't let it name you. You name it. Name it opportunity. Name it joy. Because you're going to fall into a variety of troubles that will test your faith and that's their purpose. That's why you can name it something good, because there is a God who is over you, 
who is bigger than you, who is working in you, who is working to conform you to the very image of his son. No, no event comes into your life that doesn't come through his hands, whatever it is. So you can count this as having purpose, opportunity, and joy. And he goes on. He says this, knowing that the testing of your faith, there it is. He just puts it out there. He says, you can be confident. You can know this, that this thing that's happened to you, whatever it is, whatever it is, has come to test your faith. It's come to increase. It's not come from God like, um, hey, well, let's see now what you're going to do. No, that's not the heart of God. He didn't come along to see, well, you're going to have faith or not. That's not the heart of God. He brings along this test in a different way than we think of test. He brings it as an opportunity to grow, to change. This is not one of those tests that you get thrown on you when you walked into a science class in high school. You're like, what, a pop quiz today? I'm not ready. <clears throat> That's not what this is. This is, a li- this is different because God is not, um, he's not looking to scold you necessarily unless it's been because of your sin. He's not looking to uh, condemn you. He's looking to help you grow in your faith, the testing of your faith. And then he tells the reason for it all. He says, you can know this, that this trial has come to test your faith, but here's what it's come to do. It's come to produce patience. Now, you and I as men should be able to grasp this concept here fairly easily because we are accomplishers You've already thought about this day, some things that you want to accomplish. That's because that's what we do. And we measure, you'll measure your day by what you've accomplished. I get it. So we should understand this concept. I want to produce, accomplish, put out something. I want to I have a reason that I exist. I want to do something. James says, well, here's, here's the deal. When you go through a trial, God's using that. He's using it to increase your faith, but he's using it to produce patience or endurance in you. Endurance is critical for us as men because endurance puts you through the trial onto the next level. Yes, be able to, to have patience and endurance get you to finish the race and get you to keep going, get you onto the next level because that's what God is doing. He's moving you on to become like Christ. And so endurance is critical for us. Endurance moves you forward so that you don't get stuck in the moment, stuck in the trial. The trial names you. The trial beats you down. The trial puts you in a pit. No, I'm going to name it. I'm going to call it what it is, that this is a moment used by God. This is a purpose that God has for my life. I'm going to move forward in this, and I'm going to have endurance. I'm going to keep going in this. I will not be held down by it. I will not let it name me. I will not let it name God. I will I will call it what God calls it. I will see what God sees in it, and I will keep going. That's critical for men, that we keep moving especially when it comes to faith. You keep moving forward. Keep growing. Keep changing. I am, I'm obsessed with uh, us as a church not getting stuck in our faith, not leveling out and saying, well, I'm done. I've arrived. I'm through. Sunday's just a thing. Doesn't really relate to my life. 
No, wrong. God is in this pursuit of growing us and conforming us to the image of Christ. And if he is, we need to be. And so James says, look, I know you've lost a lot, but you take the lead in this matter. In this matter. You call it a moment of joy and opportunity, and you call it a moment that's going to produce endurance in you and keep you moving forward. You call it what it is, and it'll help you move forward. If you call it the wrong thing, you'll end up stuck. So uh, there's verse 2 and 3. There's some questions here to make some application. So uh, have someone at your table lead that discussion and someone pray. And let's, uh, let's put all this in practical uh, application.